It has happened to all of us countless times. We are all victims of it. The relentless calls from companies trying to sell us extended warranties on our vehicles. And we know that it's common to man because they have become these memes about them. I really found this to be an interesting one. That fortune cookie. You can't even get away from them in your, <laughs> when you're eating. <laughs> We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. And, and this poor guy what, you know, thought he was on a deserted island. And a message in a bottle comes, and same thing. We've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. You know, the reason that uh, these companies keep trying with this is that everyone wants someone else to pay when their car breaks. It's a, it's a marketable uh, commodity. You'd prefer someone else pay when your transmission goes or your engine goes or something like this. We all want guarantees. But most guarantees are flawed because they are made by flawed people or flawed organizations. But when God makes a guarantee, you can count on it. For His character demands that He fulfill His promises, and His eternal nature guarantees that these promises never expire. Every hurt, trial, difficulty, distress, and grievance God is using to accomplish His sure purpose for His children. Think that one through for just a moment. Every hurt, trial, difficulty, distress, and grievance God is using to accomplish accomplish his sure purpose for his children. In Romans chapter 8, uh, we have seen that Paul is issuing, issuing numerous guarantees throughout. I want to just list these for your consideration. First of all, in the first eight verses, we have been guaranteed no condemnation. This guarantee uh, is in, in spite of the fact that we have failed because of our sinfulness and weakness, God has Himself met the demands of the law. So God guarantees that those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior will never experience condemnation. That is a glorious guarantee. In verses 9-11, through we have been guaranteed bodily resurrection. That's a promise from God. Bodily resurrection. In verses 12-17, through we have been guaranteed a vast eternal inheritance. This is a guarantee of the Lord. God makes this promise. Now you'll remember that that Jesus is the heir of all things. And that passage says that we are joint heirs with Him. Which makes us joint heirs of all things. This is a, a promise from God for His children. This is good. As we look at verses 18-25, through 25, or when we look there, While we experience difficulties in this life, we have been guaranteed a glorious restoration. Restoration is promised to God's children in verses 18 through 25. In verses 26 and 27, while we do not always know how to pray, we have been guaranteed the help of the Holy Spirit. 
God helps us in our weaknesses. And the Spirit groans with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And God hears His prayer and says yes to the prayer of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is God. And His prayers are in accordance with the will of God for He is God. Now we come to the sixth guarantee. It's in verses 28-30. through We have been guaranteed that we will fully reflect our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been guaranteed that we will fully reflect our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if we just go by sight, we would say, I don't know if that one's going to happen. Because you were with you all day yesterday. And you know, you know what very few other people know about how many flaws you really have. But God makes a promise, and his promise is sure, and that is he will fully make us like Jesus Christ, his son and our Savior. Let's take a look at our text for this morning, Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This morning, we want to note five truths about God's goodness. God guarantees our good because He is good. The Bible is continuously testifying to God's goodness. And I want to just share a few verses to whet your appetite for God's goodness. The Bible says in Psalm 100 and verse 5, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Lamentations 3.25 The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. In Nahum 1.7 The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. And then Psalm 34 and verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed, blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Have you tasted His goodness? How He cares for you in times of distress and in times of glory? Great times and difficulties. God cares for us. If you've tasted, you can't help but proclaim His goodness. Well, this morning as we look through this text, we want to note five elements or truths about God's goodness. First of all, God's goodness toward us is certain. God's goodness toward us is certain. Take a look at just the first few words of verse 28. Will you say these three words with me? And we know. And we know. You don't get a whole lot more certain than that. 
In verse 26, we don't always know what to pray for. But here in verse 28 is something that we do know because it does not have any basis in our weakness, but only in God's faithful nature. We know. We know this is true because it's not dependent on my circumstances. It's not dependent on my, my abilities. It's all about Him. And when something is about Him, the Scriptures, when the Scripture tells me something about God, you can mark it down. You can note it. You can count on it. You can stake your life on it. We can think about all sorts of illustrations to this, but follow my, my mind in this as I follow a little bit of the Scripture's narrative. Adam and Eve sinned. You remember they were hiding in the garden and God started to look for them. And after issuing their consequences, God makes this promise. You'll remember, He was going to send the seed of the woman who was going to conquer the seed of the snake. We call that the Proto-Evangelium, the first mention of the Gospel. God's making a promise that, that though man corrupted things and sin has impacted things, God would not allow that to be the end of the story. God would always have the redemption. He always has the last word. In the face of a world that continually thought about devising evil, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because God was preserving that promise of the seed of the woman that would come to ultimately be, and we know, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect God-man who perfectly fulfilled every law and laid His life down as a once-for-all sacrifice for my sin and for yours. God's promise. God made promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and then reiterated these promises to both Isaac and Jacob. And then when Israel was in captivity, God reiterated those promises. I want you to take a look with me, please, at Jeremiah 31. We're talking right now about the goodness of the Lord and the concept that we're trying to understand the best that we can as humans is that there's a certainty to God's promises. There's a certainty. When God issues a promise, there is no question that it will come to pass. And God has demonstrated this throughout the history of redemption, throughout the history of mankind, throughout the history of this world He has made. Jeremiah 31. Israel was in captivity due to their rebellion against God, and God reiterates His purpose to bless Israel Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming. What do those next words say? Declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was a husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity 
and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it waves, its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Well, there's a lot to be taken in in those verses, but just gather this. God made a promise to Abraham, reiterated it to Isaac and Jacob. The people of Israel are in captivity because of their rebellion, and God restates His promise because God's promises are certain. God's promises are certain. Take a look at Romans chapter 11. God is determined to do good to His people, and He will. Romans chapter 11. God is determined to do good to His people, and He will. Romans 11. We're going to look at two verses in Romans 11. Verse 2 and verse 29. Romans 11.2. God has not, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know that what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel. Look down at verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are, will you say it with me? Irrevocable. He doesn't go back on His Word. This is a, a taste of the history of God's faithfulness. He will always Keep His Word. So when Paul begins Romans 8.28 with the expression, and we know, we can be incredibly encouraged that what is about to be said is an absolute reality. That there's no question that what God promises here will in fact come to pass. We know. Why? Because it's not dependent on me. It's not dependent on us. It's not dependent on this sphere. It's dependent upon the One who created us, who's given us life and breath and all things. It's dependent upon God Himself. We know God's goodness is certain for those that are His children. So I guess that begs the question. Are you one of His children? Have you recognized your sin? Do you understand that your sin separates you from God? That your sin rightly warrants eternal condemnation from the presence of the Lord in, in eternal conscious punishment? You realize that that's what, what you deserve? What I deserve? We're sinners. Have we recognized the consequence of our sin have we recognized that God, in His glorious love, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God provided a remedy for our sin. That we would, would, could turn from our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to have life. Have you come to that place where you recognized your sin, the consequence of your sin, God's provision of your sin? Have you turned from your sin and turned to Jesus Christ for eternal life? When that takes place, my friend, you become a child 
of God. You become one of his people. And what we're about to talk about is a promise for you. It's a promise for you. Back to Romans chapter 8, please. There is nothing so sure as taking God at his word. God's goodness toward us is certain. So this leads us to a second point of God's goodness, and this is true for every believer in every circumstance. God's goodness toward us is all-encompassing. God's goodness toward us is all-encompassing. In other words, there's not one thing that happens in my life that falls out of this discussion. Not one thing. Back in Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Now, I don't like that translation at all. It's like, it's almost as if it's saying, eh, it'll all work out. As if we can just trust fate to get the job done. That's how that translation reads. All things, being the subject, work together, how? By happenstance? For good. That's, that's not the best way to read that. The whole chapter is about God, what God has done and what God is doing on our behalf that gives us encouragement that we're no longer enslaved to sin or the law. While we feel the reality, you do, I do, we feel the reality that we are still living in a sin-cursed world with sin-impacted bodies. We have a sure hope. A sure hope. This hope is based upon the sure working of God, not the sure working of happenstance. The New American Standard Bible takes the liberty of giving some interpretation to the Greek phraseology and reads this way, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God causes all things to work together for good. Linguistically, there is definitely reasons to interpret the passage that way. Uh, contextually, there's certainly reasons to interpret it this way. Theologically, there's reasons to interpret it this way. So we're just going to go with that interpretation because really it's not just that, ah, it'll all work out. It'll all pan out in the end. It's that God is actively at work. He's not just actively at work out there in someone else's circumstances and, or in big cosmic things. God is at work in you. God is at work in your health. God is at work in your wealth. God is at work in your occupation. God is at work in your relationships. God uses all of these things, whether your wealth is large or minimal. This wealth is not a barometer of God's blessing. God is at work in the midst of every circumstance in your life. God's goodness is all-encompassing for us. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James tells us this. How many things does God work together for good? All. All things. Whether it's disease, bodily malfunction, or death, we know 
that what we face is under God's sovereign care. There's a word that's not used as much anymore. It's the term providence. The way that God provides and cares and nurtures those things that are His. God's providence. He he rules and reigns and cares over all those things that are His. Because we recognize that all things work in accordance with God's purposes, we, we can agree with the psalmist. The psalmist confidently makes this statement in Psalm 119 and verse 71. Listen to this. It is good for me that I was... What does that say? Well, let's try that one again. Ready? Like we're going to do, do this together. Whether you're struggling to believe this... Uh, Actively or not. Let's try, let's try to read this first sentence together. Ready? It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The word afflicted is the Hebrew term oh no. <laughs> oh no. No. Troubled. Pushed down. Humbled. It is good for me. It is good for me to be humbled. It is good for me to be pushed down. It is good for me not to rely on my own strength, not to rely on my own wit, my own intellect, my own determination. It is good for me to be pushed down. Why? Because it makes me recognize that there is somewhere else to look other than this way. It is good for me to be afflicted. And so we start to learn to appreciate even the difficulties. To not just knuckle under it, muscle through it, but to ask God to cause us to thrive through adversity and difficulty. When things just keep going the way that we don't want them to go. Say, Lord, You've got this under control. This is why Paul discusses anxiety with the Philippians by saying, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Because what will happen? Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard, will be a watchdog for your heart through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good for me to be afflicted. You know, What we see with our eyes can try to convince us that these things are not true. When a relationship is severed, when a loved one dies, if we lose our job, or even if we lose our home, these concepts that we, in comfort, assent to, agree with, can be challenged by what we face in life. This is what the reality of walking by faith and not by sight is all about. So we're not living for that which is temporal, but that which is eternal, right? That's, that's how Paul processes through in his own mind and rationalizes with the Corinthians how he said, I... I, I have on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Where he talks about all the persecutions and difficulties that he faced. But he said, I do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. 
Because it's not about the, the outer things. It's about the inner things. It's not about the seen things. It's about the unseen things. It's not about the temporal things. It's about the eternal things. All things God is using. God is working. God is actively engaged in turning all the little things in our lives and the big things in our lives into something that is good. That is good. His, his goodness is seen. The question is, will you believe Him? Each event could be bad or horrible in its own right. But God is supernaturally working to make what's right out of that which is ill. Do you believe Him? God's goodness is certain for us. God's goodness toward us is all-encompassing. A third truth about God's goodness is this. God's goodness is toward us. God's goodness is toward us. Again in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. You see, what he's getting at there is this is not just a universal truth for every person that ever walked the face of the earth. Some tragedies that take place are just wasted tragedies. You could list many, many, many of them through the history of even this country, certainly in the history of the world. You think of World War II and all the, 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 the nasty things that were going on. You see, you know, 9-11, the people's lives taken uh, senselessly in terroristic attacks. There's all kinds of things that fall into this category that, that are outside. You don't say, oh, don't worry, unbeliever, all things work together for good for you. That, that's not what this text says. It says for those who love God and for those who are called according to His purpose. Tragedy, difficulty, pain, distress, trauma. For a believer, God uses. And something wonderful comes out at the end. But not just for anyone. So this is very important to understand this. It's true what the psalmist says about the the general truth about God's common grace. The Lord is good to all and His mercy is over all those, uh, all that He has made. And Jesus confirms that universal or common grace in His statement in Matthew 5, 4, uh, 45 where He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and He sends rain on the just and the unjust. But there's a particular way in this passage is one of these. There's a particular way in which God's goodness is demonstrated for His people. That's what the promises of Romans chapter 8 are for. It's for those who have entered into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he gives us two characteristics of those that, that have this promise. Two characteristics of those that are God's children. First of all, they love God. They love God. That's a characteristic of being a child of God. How do I know? What's the evidence that I love God? Well, Jesus gave me an answer to that, didn't he? John chapter 14 and verse 15. If you love me, what did he say? Keep 
my commandments. It's an indication that we love the Lord as we want to obey Him. What other indications does God give me that, about whether I love Him? Well, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 21. This is the commitment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also, what does it say? Love his brother. Two indications that we're God's children. We love God. We love God. And how do we know if we love God? We obey Him. We seek to obey Him. We want to obey Him. And secondly, we love those that are His. These are indicators. They're external indicators that we're God's children. There's also in, in our passage in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, an internal evidence that we're God's ch- child. That is, that we are called. Look what it says in the end of verse 28. This is for those who are called according to his purpose. This is the internal evidence. We're going to be discussing these things in the next weeks and months to come as we go through Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. Uh, So we're not going to dive deeply into it this morning. What is the evidence that one is called by God? It's very simple. Don't complicate this. The evidence that one is called by God is that we believe Him. We believe Him. We trust Him. Faith in Jesus Christ is the evidence that we are called by God. Just two scripture passages to affirm that concept. Psalm 9 and verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. That is an indicator that we're believers. We trust God. And in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39, I'd love to, to think through Hebrews chapter 10 for just a moment with you, if you don't mind. We have another hour, so we're good to go with that. (laughs) In Hebrews chapter 10, he's talking to them about how their faith has been demonstrated previously. They cared for those who were um, imprisoned. In fact, many of them had, had suffered the squandering of their own goods, and they did so joyfully because they recognized they had a better inheritance than this. That was an indication of their faith. And then he goes on and talks about waiting, waiting for the one that's to come. And, and if you, as you wait, you, it's certain he'll come. That's the concept that he, he gives us. And then he says, we have to hold fast to our confidence. Hold fast. And with that, a, a, a brief warning he gives. And that is this. A lack of holding fast to confidence in the Lord leads to destruction. Ooh, that's not, that's not a small warning. That's as, that's as grave a warning as there is. But listen to the last verse of the chapter. Hebrews 10, 39. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not those that that say, no, Jesus, you're not enough for me. I need this. We're not those that say, no, Jesus, there's a better way. I know you say you're the way, the truth, and the life, but I have found a different way to get there. We're not those that turn back, that shrink back, that go in another direction, the consequence of which is 
the destruction of the soul. But where those that persevere in the faith and our souls are saved. Oh, does that give us the like, great credentials? Look at how strong you are. Look at how mighty you are. No matter what happened, you held on to the faith. That's not the right perspective, my friends. When we endure in the faith, it's an indication of God's glorious faithfulness in our lives. He has given us a token, a token that lets us know internally I'm one of his children because I believe him. I believe him. You don't have to know the deep things of sovereignty versus free will. Do you believe Jesus Christ? Do you trust Jesus Christ? If you know that your life is safe because you're in Christ, you are the called according to His purpose. It's a glorious thing to know. Do you trust God? Do you love God? If the answer to these things is yes, then the challenges of this life will be worth it all. For God is working through these challenges to accomplish His good purposes in you. A fourth, a fourth truth about God's goodness and brief, because we're going to talk about this next week. God's goodness relates to our conformity to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This is the good. The good is that God uses all of the difficulties in this life to make me like His Son because the purpose in our lives is to be like Jesus Christ. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. This is why we're here, friends. To be like Christ. And I can't make that happen myself. And I can't make that happen for you. And you can't make that happen for me. It's a work of God. God is working. He's working. There's no purpose more important in this life than having our minds and spirits transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you this question. Will this happen in your life? Will you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Yes or no? I think you have a sense of where we're headed. You see, it's not guaranteed by you. If it were guaranteed by you, I'd say, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. But it's not guaranteed by you. It's guaranteed by the God who made all things. Who sustains all things. Who always accomplishes His will. Listen to these words. I know you know them. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, and I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you need anything else? Do you need to hear another verse to convince you that God's going to accomplish His will of conforming you to Jesus Christ? No. I'm sure of this. He's going to do it. This is a mark of God's goodness. Not mine. Not yours. Not ours. His. 
God guarantees our good. And that good is that we will. We will. In sight and in deed be like Christ. We will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. Our vile body will be like unto His glorious body. What guarantees this? The power that causes everything to be subjected to Christ. God's power. A fifth and final truth about God's goodness is this. God's goodness is assured by His eternal nature. God's goodness is assured by His eternal nature. Verse 30. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Who is the guarantor that all things will work together for good? It is God. And He guarantees it. And in verse 30, the guarantee is tied to God's eternal nature. Because... Verse 30 spans eternity. From before the foundation of the earth, predestined and called, to our present day, justified, to the future, eternity, glorified. The reason God can make promises that stand for eternity is that He is eternal. Listen to this passage from Isaiah. There's a number of passages we could have gone to, just chose one. Isaiah 41 and verse 4. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am He. First and last. Alpha and Omega. Beginning and end. Before and after time. His, his nature is eternal and because He has spanned this large expanse of time that we can't even fathom, every promise He has ever made is as sure as every word that comes out of His mouth. His promises are sure. God guarantees our good. We have and will face difficulties in this life. But if we know that we are God's children... We know that these difficulties are part of God's master plan. He's working. God is working all these things together to make us like His Son. And that is our main objective. This is not guaranteed by some telemarketer. It's not guaranteed by some politician. It's not a guarantee simply from some pastor. It's guaranteed by God. This is good news. What are you facing? Where are your distresses? Cast your care upon Him, knowing that He cares for you. Let's pray together. Father, what a joy it is to have these assurances from You. Help us that not only would we trust You, but that our faith in You would be evidenced in our lives in a way that gives us the opportunity to share with others how they too can have this assurance. We will tell others about a God who guarantees our good through the Lord Jesus Christ and that they too can have this assurance if they will turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. 
Give us the words, give us the opportunities that we might impact a, a, a needy world around us for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.